Welcome to TV7 Israel's podcast. We invite you to listen and share our latest content from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to yet another edition of TV7 Editor's Note. I'm Jonathan Hassan and joining me for today's production is my dear friend, mentor in so many things and, and uh, colleague, uh, Colonel Richard Kemp, uh, former commander of British forces in Afghanistan, uh, commander of multiple areas uh, within uh, your distinguished career, as well as the chairman of the Joint uh, Intelligence Committee at the British Cabinet Office. Thank you so much for being here, Richard. Thank you very much, Jonathan. It's good to be with you. It's always a pleasure indeed. Uh, we'll start with prayers, we always do uh, at this program, and then uh, we'll uh, dive into a few very uh, unique uh, topics uh, to converse on, obviously, Israel being in the center of uh, all of this at a time when it's uh, faced with so many challenges, both domestic and uh, foreign. But uh, yes, if I may invite all of you to join us also uh, in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for today, Father. Thank you for the blessing and privilege of being able to be here together with uh, Colonel Kemp uh, at uh, the show, yet another episode of uh, Editor's Note. Father, Lord, I pray that you'll bless this program, guide and lead our conversation, and that whatever we do or say will be to your glory, that it may truly serve as a blessing to all watching right now. We give you all glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Colonel. Um, I'd like to actually... Take a, a, a tour in memory lane, October 16th, 2009, uh, at the Human Rights Council. Uh, now, just to put things in, in context, this was, of course, several months after Operation Cast Lead. And uh, uh, there was a South African judge who was commissioned in order to um, implement a commission of inquiry. Uh, happened to be a Jewish judge, uh, nonetheless... Uh, it didn't seem to be very favorable of Israel uh, in all of his writings. And this commission basically blamed Israel for crimes against humanity, for various atrocities during the war in, in the Gaza Strip particularly. It seemed like uh, the whole world was turning against Israel. Uh, I remember... Uh, being here in, in Israel at the time and, and going through the report and, you know, hearing everything that there is to be heard about it. And the, the sentiments in Israel were quite pressured. But at uh, the day where the, this commission of inquiry was deliberated at the Human Rights Council, uh, addressing the council, yours truly, Colonel Richard Kemp, uh, came up and... and shocked all the participating uh, emissaries, uh, diplomats there at the commission, and you proclaimed the following, that the IDF um, has done more to safeguard the rights of civilians in a combat zone than any other army in the history of warfare. And you went on by saying that Israel did so while facing an enemy that deliberately positioned itself and its capability behind human shields of the civilian population that is of the Gaza Strip. What, what went through your mind? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, knew, I knew full well um, <clears throat> that the whole purpose of the Goldstone investigation, of the UN inquiry, of 
the agenda of media organizations, human rights groups, uh, universities, some political leaders was to deny Israel the right to, to defend and protect itself, to de deny that capability. And one of the means of denying that was by delegitimizing Israel, by making the pretense that Israel was the criminal, Israel was the aggressor, um, <clears throat> which very clearly it was not. As I pointed out to the UN Human Rights Council, Israel has done more to preserve the lives of innocent civilians in conflict than any other army in the history of the world. And, and that's still true today. And so my, I saw my role here, and it, this, I'm not an agent of the State of Israel or of the UK or of any other organisation or country. My role as somebody who has military experience, who has a lifetime of experience fighting this type of conflict, I felt was to give an objective assessment in order to basically to overturn, if, as far as I could, obviously I'm one voice, there are many other people who agree with me, but in this mm. case I was one voice, to, um, to overturn the delegitimizers, to, to point out to the council and to the, anyone else around the world who's listening that actually it's lies, that it's, it is designed to, to prevent Israel from taking the military action it needs to take. And unfortunately, that whole campaign against Israel has continued and gathered strength. And, and, and is still strong in the UN, in, the, in, in institutions throughout Europe and the US and other countries around the world. You know, many of those human rights organizations that are spearheading those uh, various investigations and, and propaganda uh, against Israel and against like-minded nations, not only Israel, are usually non-profit organizations mm. or actually rather exclusively non-profit organizations that seem to receive rather substantive funds, including, for instance, within the current corruption case being investigated and uh, by Belgian police from Qatar, where many of those human rights or the, the uh, chairpersons of those human rights uh, commissions and, and organizations are currently in prison or, you know, under house arrest and such. Um, for, you know, receiving funds from Qatar, the, the leading entity, uh, the leading state that uh, advances the, the um, various ideologies of the Muslim Brotherhood and seeks its own agendas. Mm -hmm. And when you look at this, and this is just one case, there are other countries involved in this, including Morocco and, and others that uh, we know about, and it's been already proven, it seems like this is an ongoing battle especially in the Human Rights Council, that cynically utilizes the word human rights because there is nothing humane or rightful about what they're doing. The, the Human Rights Council is, <clears throat> is, is completely misnamed. Um, ma many of the members of the Human Rights Council uh, and, and many people who, help, who chair specific committees in the Human Rights Council are the world's worst abusers of human rights. And, and just as an example, the last time I was in um, in the Human Rights Council, I spoke at, a, at a, uh, an emergency debate on the last, Israel, the last conflict between Israel and Gaza last year. Um, and, and one of the, one of the uh, ambassadors present was the Russian ambassador, who, while his country is pursuing a war of aggression with, using extreme brutality in Ukraine, he was sitting there in, um, in Geneva, condemning Israel 
for abuse of human rights, calling on Israel to observe the laws of war, demanding that Israel's aggression stop. This is the Russian ambassador. Um, and, and, and bizarrely, Russia has been suspended from the UN Human Rights Council since the invasion of Ukraine, yet we're still there and still making a speech. China was there. Other countries which are notorious human rights abusers were there, one after the other, condemning Israel. It's not a serious organisation, and it does need to be countered. And, it, and, and I think, you know, I, I, I applauded the US in particular for taking such a strong, strong stand in support of Israel at that debate. I'd like to put things in perspective. Um, General Karl von Clausewitz, uh, who was a very well-known philosopher, and uh, you're familiar yeah. with his writings, uh, he came out and he said, ultimately, when two nations fight each other, each one pre uh, presents the, a certain capacity or a certain power, and that other country seeks to accommodate that level of power in order to um, sustain and, and potentially gain its political interests uh, from within that conflict. But at some point, one of those sides will have to use brutality in order to overwin against the other. Now, Israel is able to allow itself being, when we're talking about qualitative military edge, it's far superior than all those terrorist organizations in the area. Will Israel be able to allow itself to be... Um, so humane in its warfare if right now all-out war breaks out with the chief culprit obviously being the Islamic Republic of Iran? Israel has been extremely restrained in, in the operations that have been launched against it from Gaza and, and from elsewhere, but I'm thinking particularly of Gaza. Um, and it's, it's, have, it's the ability to contain uh, violence by the Iron Dome, by shelter systems, by early warning systems, etc., has enabled Israel to 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 respond with um, great care and great caution, uh, knowing at the same time that its citizens are not going to be killed in large numbers by these attacks, and that's that's enabled Israel to 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 exercise the kind of restraint I mentioned. Should uh, rockets be launched from Gaza, from, from Lebanon, which are very, very large numbers there, maybe even at the same time as from Gaza, possibly from Syria as well, that will put Israel in a different position. Israel will not be able to be as restrained in that circumstance, and we will see extreme violence unleashed in, particularly in southern Lebanon, in order to prevent Israelis from being killed. In my opinion, Israel will still adhere to the laws of war, and it, the, it, unleashing extreme violence is not the same thing as breaking the laws of war. It's not war crimes. If you need to do it to protect yourself, and you you are still acting proportionally. So I, th I think Israel will have no choice when, if if and when such a conflict occurs as to, as to behave in a way that's very, very different from what we've seen in Gaza up until now. The use of war criminals is being used very easily these days. Uh, whoever you don't like uh, must be a war criminal because you don't like him. Uh, so to what degree can we look at a reality in which there is no bias within international institutions when we're talking about the capacity to truly identify what is right and what is wrong? based on the foundations of international law and, and uh, the the laws of, of uh, war which have been uh, so important. I think every officer, every soldier understands the importance of laws 
especially when it comes to warfare, and understands that while military power is one angle of that um, strategy or the, the political tools, and it's a very important political tool, uh, it's only one compartment within, of course, diplomacy and economy, which also then allows you to maneuver on, on different angles simultaneously and uh, indeed uh, at times deal with different fronts at the same time. Israel is a very specific case, very special case uh, in relation to the laws of war and um, and organizations like the Human Rights Council, the United Nations more generally and other human rights groups because Israel is seen by so many of these organizations as being the demon, the, the, the colonialist apartheid aggressor, which of course is very, very, very far from the truth, the opposite of the truth, in fact. Um, and so Israel will always, I, th I think Israel will always be singled out while these countries continue, while these entities continue to exist and continue to be funded by anti-Israel entities such as, as we mentioned earlier, Qatar, but others in the US and, and elsewhere. Mm. So I think it's, it's always, Israel needs to be seen, I think, from, by, the, by the impartial advisor as being in a special situation. Uh, and I, th I think we're less likely to see, shall we say, um, the kind of bias that's directed against Israel in relation to conflict uh, if and when there comes some kind of tribunal to do with the war in Ukraine, for example. Obviously, there will be bias in some different areas, but I think it will be, it'll be a different... I think there's a very... There is a, because Israel is so heavily demonised by so many different countries and entities around the world, I think it's always going to be a, in, a, in a very different situation to most other people. With so many people looking at, at the circumstances of, of what Israel is undergoing and, and going through, how don't people realize the absurdity of it all? I mean, it doesn't make sense. I, I, think, I, think, I think they do. I think some people do. I mean, obviously, though, the enemies of Israel obviously know that what they're saying is lies. They don't, they don't just sort of... But do their peoples know that? I very much doubt it. Their peoples know what they tell them to know, generally speaking. They're, they're, you know, whether, it, whether they're people in Judea and Samaria or whether they're people in, uh, in Iraq or in Jordan, whatever, they're, they're, they're conditioned by their governments who have, in some cases, an anti-Israel agenda. Um, <clears throat> but the leaders themselves, the people that are making these decisions, they know full well the reality. It's, it's warfare for them, and they don't have to stick to the truth as far as they're concerned when war breaks out, when, when, they're, when they are as they consider themselves to be at war. Um, and then you have other, you know, you, ha you have many other kind of leaders of, of human rights organisations, of university faculties, of student groups, who also know what the reality is, but they also, they're fighting the same war. They don't care about the truth, they care about demonising Israel. And they have many useful idiots as followers, um, people who don't know. And I've encountered many, many students, professors even, uh, human rights group f officials who who simply don't understand. They don't know what they're talking about. They'll, they'll talk about apartheid Israel. They don't even know what apartheid means. They don't know where Israel is. But they, they they come out with this stuff. So I think there's you know the, the, uh, you know there's there's a there's a a lot of people who who just don't understand the reality and don't want to and don't care. And then there are other people like I mean I would say for example the United Kingdom government the UK government is generally pretty supportive of Israel, 
but very often when, when, when it's needed, it's not. And, and, for example, it will often abstain from anti-Israel votes in, in the UN when it should actually vote in, in support of Israel, as the US more often than not does. Um, and that's, that's not because Britain, the British foreign minister and the prime minister and the ambassadors don't understand the reality. The reason for it is because it's, polit it's politics. They, you know, they, they feel they want, you know, they'll do a political favour for another country in exchange for not doing this, that and the other. They'll try and get a vote going in their way in something else. And it's, it's, a, it's a massaging. Um, and on top of that, in that, that applies to every international situation. But in relation to Israel, there's also... Um, I think there is a, a historic hangover in, in the British Foreign Office, and this applies also in a different way in the State Department, um, towards Israel, where, where it's, it's kind of... The, the, it's, it's not exactly a blind spot, but it's... Um, it, in, in the Foreign Office, certainly, it's a, it's, it's a historic bias towards Arab countries and, against, and therefore against Israel. For interests. Right, for, for interests... Yeah. And and for and and sometimes in relation to prejudice, the trouble with the British Foreign Office, they haven't realised that times have changed, mm. and actually condemning Israel isn't as popular in many parts of the Arab world as it once was. Well, I want to get back to uh, the the potential of a, a wide scale conflict throughout this region. Um, if we we talk about the known published numbers, there are somewhere between four hundred and excuse me, 450 to 560,000 statistical rockets uh, in Syria, Lebanon, and the Gaza Strip. Now, taking all of that into account, once a war breaks out, at least 50-60% of that will be annihilated in the first 48 hours, 72 hours. Then we can expect a roughly three to 5,000 rockets a day being fired, that is not very different from the 2006 Second Lebanon War. On their side, on the enemies of Israel's side, being directed towards Israel. On the other end, that means the the applying of a lot more firepower against the enemies of Israel. Again, with precision guided munitions, but of course, when you're dealing with so much you can't apply only precision munitions. You need also to be quite strong in your response, unfortunately. And I, I really feel bad for the other side in, in this scenario uh, because it's going to cost many lives. How do you see that evolving from an Iranian perspective, for that matter? And to what degree are we expected to see the United States get involved, the UK get involved, others who voiced commitment to doing so, but it seems like they're not willing to go to war for their own people as of late with, you know, uh, U.S. contractors getting killed and, and more and more American people wounded. In the past, we couldn't imagine America not reacting to every single injury. Now it seems like they're finding every reason not to go and not to react. Yeah, and we're seeing in, in, in Syria alone, we're seeing Iran pressing against America and attacking American uh, forces with its proxies and American bases with its proxies in order to, to I think, more than anything else, to, 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 to test America, to see what America's reaction is going to be. Uh, in the same way as we've seen recent uh, attacks carried out from, attempted attacks carried out from Syria and from 
Lebanon against Israel to test Israel's reaction and resolve and to test, the, you know, the, again, the response of America to all of that. Um, so we're seeing that, I think we're seeing them now preparing themselves and conditioning themselves for what's going to happen. Um, and, and I have little doubt that they expect um, the, the, the Western world not to be behind Israel in a conflict like this. Um, the Iranians. I think the Iranians expect that. In, in the same way as, as I think, you know, Putin invaded Ukraine expecting a complete lack of resolve from the West based on the Western weakness. And to some extent, he's seen that played out. He's seen, yeah, the West has, has, has supported Ukraine and kept it fighting. And it wouldn't have been able to keep fighting without Western support, particularly the US and the UK. But he was right in a, in a way that there wasn't going to be decisive intervention from the West. And I think that Iran is, is probably making a similar calculation. I, I believe there should be direct intervention from the West. And I believe that Royal Air Force should be flying attacks into Lebanon alongside the US Air Force and the Israeli Air Force mm. if this situation occurs. It's not going to happen. It simply will not happen. But it would be the right thing and the humane thing to do because lives would be saved and, and conflict would be shortened by support from Israel's friends. I hope Israel's got the power to deal with it itself. But I think what we're likely to see, and, and it's obviously in Israel's interests to, to, to carry out intensive operations against the rockets in southern Lebanon uh, over as short a period as possible, because the longer these conflicts go on, as we've seen elsewhere, the more pressure, the more the international pressure builds up on Israel to, to, to cease fire, to stop doing what it's doing. So I think, I think you know, we're, we're likely to see, we're not very likely to see direct Western support. Hopefully the US will continue to provide munitions for Israel if it needs it. Uh, we're not likely to see anything apart from, in over maybe even a short period of time, calls for restraint from the West. And, 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 and I think, you know, as we've sort of mentioned before, the, the result in southern Lebanon is going to be really, really bloody. It's going to be extremely bad. And I think Israel uh, and its ambassadors around the world, I'm sure they're already preparing people to, to, to handle this sort of situation, but there's going to be massive condemnation of Israel when that happens by people who simply don't understand the reality or just will use anything they can to condemn Israel. You know, a couple of weeks ago when... Uh the Islamist Hamas organization fired 34 rockets towards Israel from Lebanon. I spoke with a, a friend uh, who happens to be a, a, a very senior general in the IDF, and I asked him, why, why was there no immediate retaliation? Like, uh, th this is legitimacy to go to war. And this might have been an, an open window for such a, a scenario. And he said, we don't have international legitimacy as of yet. The Americans wouldn't back us. The, you know, other allies and, and partners wouldn't back us in such a scenario. And this is something that Israel takes into account. Yeah, ultimately. absolutely. And, and this, is where, this is where the campaigns that we started off talking about in the United Nations and elsewhere work. Right. Because, and, and you know, as I, I've pointed out to the UN Human Rights Council directly on a number of occasions, that their condemnation of illegitimate condemnation of Israel, unfair condemnation of Israel, um, actually creates bloodshed mm. because it encourages Hamas, it encourages Hezbollah, it encourages other Iranian proxies to attack Israel because they're achieving what they want to achieve. They're achieving condemnation of Israel. And, and that, of course, you know, when you get, when the world is kind of got you in the microscope and will will condemn you and 
blame you for every single thing that happens in war, then of course Israel's got to take that into account. And Israel has to consider international opinion. Israel's not a country operating in isolation. Obviously, there needs to be a balance. There's got to be a balance between being too constrained and restrained by these, by other countries, by public opinion internationally and by various human rights organizations and actually protecting your own citizens. And after all, at the end of the day, the, it's, Israel, I, I always reject the idea Israel has a right to defend itself because no one ever says, well, Britain's got a right to defend itself, America has. Of course, it's taken for granted. But it's not a right, it's a duty. The government has a duty to defend Israel. And there has to be a balance between that duty and the consequences of international condemnation. It's safe to say that I do see the United States and Great Britain get involved, not necessarily in Lebanon, but I do believe that the Houthis in Yemen will seize such a, a regional conflagration to try and target maritime shipping in the Red Sea and, and uh, the uh, other mm. you know, straits mm. uh, that it has uh, direct uh, uh, access to as well as uh, the Strait of Hormuz and, and such uh, will uh, probably be hampered to a certain degree. And therefore, yeah. uh, I think that the UK and, and US, which are heavily involved, in those areas uh, will get involved uh, to the degree since it also impacts, you know, a third of Europe's uh, oil input actually comes from this area. And right now it's even increased. Therefore, if they wouldn't get involved there, it would mean that Europe would once again have to turn to Russia for its gas or exclusively rely on the United States. Who knows? Uh, there are different interpretations for that. But uh, we're drawing near to the end of the program. We have roughly one minute left. And I think it's very important to tell our viewers at home, unfortunately, you're here with me in Jerusalem, but I'll be in Helsinki just in a couple hours' time uh, to communicate with our distinguished guests uh, over uh, over there without you, again, in your absence, uh, on Europa Stance. Uh, we will discuss uh, uh, Europe's strategic uh overview and and uh, i must say uh it's obviously pre-recorded i just returned at uh 2 a.m this morning uh to israel and and had the opportunity to um record it last night and therefore right now when you'll see it uh it, it was a lively discussion i must say with a lot of uh intriguing elements to it um uh, colonel kemp last couple of sentences of course uh, tomorrow evening there's going to be the the entry into uh, Israel's uh, day of remembrance uh, which the next day at the evening will turn into the day of independence uh, filled with celebrations such a contrast between the two remembrance is so important people give everything for their country in the in this case Israel they give everything everything they ever had everything they ever could have everything they would ever have, and we should never forget them. They should always be honoured and remembered. It's so important. And Independence Day equally is extremely important. And I'm very proud, myself, of the role Britain played in bringing about the recreation of the State of Israel. We made some very, very nasty mistakes along the way, but ultimately we had a, a major role in the recreation of Israel, and, and it's something I believe we should and are, and are very proud of. I know that uh, here in Israel... Uh, the leadership is very grateful of the UK's role in, in all of this and uh, will be perpetually thankful uh, for many of the people there, including yourself, for standing up for Israel in such an uh, undeterred and unyielding way. So thank you again. But that's all the time that we have for today. Thank you for partaking. Thank you.
And I'd like to thank all of you at home as well. Uh, stay tuned. Just uh, I think it's roughly in an hour and a half from now, uh, we're going to broadcast uh, TV7 Europa Stands uh, from me here in Jerusalem. Uh, until next time, shalom. Thank you for joining us in another TV7 Israel podcast. For more content, visit our website at tv7israelnews.com or follow us on social media.